It's no secret the NFL has a problem with race. Think Colin Kaepernick. Think Brian Flores. But this isn't a new problem. It's one that started as far back as the 1930s, with a ban on Black players in the NFL, with a past that informs the present. Blackballed is a new miniseries podcast from The Ringer about the four men who broke the color barrier in football. I'm your host, Chelsea Stark-Jones. You can find Blackballed on The Ringer NFL feed. Welcome back to another episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. My name's Kevin O'Connor, and joining, as always, is the Ringers Jay Kyle. Man, what's going on, man? How you doing today? I feel like it's been a while since I've seen you, Kev. A lot of life has unfolded. I've watched you like a superstar from afar. You being the superstar, not me. I saw you in Memphis getting a song sang to you by the uh, the dulcet tones of Chris Verno, and uh, but you, uh, we both had issues with our travel. We both kind of got ill on our way back. You seem like you've recovered nicely, though. I feel I feel a hundred percent right now. I feel fantastic. Yeah, we did miss our podcast last week in part due to traveling, in part due to sickness. But now we are a hundred percent back. Unfortunately, your podcast with Tate Frazier over the weekend he got it worse than either of us did for sure. But you guys powered through on your podcast over the weekend, talking about the final four that we have now with UConn and Miami facing off on one side and then Florida Atlantic and San Diego State on the other. Kyle, there's no lottery prospects remaining in the tournament, unless you want to say Jordan Hawkins has moved his way into the lotto, but the guys, you know, consensus projected, I mean, we're kind of left out here with a bunch of late first and second rounders and undrafted guys, huh? Yeah, and, and with the tournament, you know, I, I just I, I can kind of feel you can just feel it in the air when it, you know the first round everybody's still in the big schools are still in there's a lot of talent still in I've kind of felt the general public kind of be like looking around for what their angle is to like grab onto this because the, it's been such a weird tournament that you know we've seen and we'll talk about it we'll, we've seen some pretty good performances and we've also seen some weird performances that you kind of have to make sense of going forward um but you're right yeah the lack of like projected lottery talent uh there is nba talent in this final four but um yeah the guys that we kind of wanted to see on this stage we aren't gonna get to but uh, i'm still excited about the basketball but uh excited to talk about the prospects too for sure, absolutely. I mean, the basketball will be good. I'm especially excited for that UConn-Miami game. San Diego State, Florida, Atlantic. There's not, you know, is there any, you know, draftable prospects in that game between Florida Atlantic and San Diego State, Kyle, in your opinion? Any? It's tough. There's some guys that have, like, NBA skills, or you could see them potentially, like, getting on a roster. Mensa for San Diego State had looked like a really high-quality rim protector at different times. Um, he was blocking shots with either hand, but, I mean, he's just a zero on offense. He's older, too. Um, you'd have to see, I mean, you start to think about guys like Namias Keita and guys that have kind of had to work really hard even to stick and get into the league, and he kind of moves in a similar way to that. And then for uh, Florida Atlantic, um, it, well, I was going to say, there's nobody really else on San Diego State that strikes me as an NBA talent, really. Is there anybody for you that sticks out? No, not really at all. I mean, it's like we have three San Diego State players in the NBA right now 
who went there, Kawhi Leonard, Jalen McDaniels, and Malachi Flynn. I mean, there might be somebody who gets a shot, you know, but they're going to have to fight hard for it. And same thing with Florida Atlantic. It's like John L. Davis, 6'4", shot-creating guard, but I, I don't see the NBA talent necessarily on that side of things. It's more so UConn-Miami, where there's a lot of guys on this side of things where you could say, hey, oh, yeah. they could end up you know, being an NBA player for a long time now. So let's start off talking about the final four prospects to watch, particularly on the UConn and Miami side of things. With UConn, Jordan Hawkins, sophomore shooting guard, he's the name that everybody has been talking about throughout this tournament. We mentioned him on our last podcast as somebody who could really improve their draft stock. What have we seen with Hawkins so far, Kyle, throughout this tournament that has people talking about him so much? It's interesting because we're seeing things that he did throughout the year. I mean, you and I checked on him, in on him and uh, and Andre Jackson earlier in the season and Aldama Sanogo and another guy who's emerged that we'll talk about, I'm sure. But um, he's been doing a lot of the things that he we've seen one side of it. We haven't seen like just lights out on fire shot making. But what we have seen is his kind of work ethic as a player what he will look like within an NBA offense, which is I just think he's going to be like an orbiter. Um, I don't I've never said that before. I just said it in the moment just now. But he's going to he just orbits UConn's offense in a way that is really high impact. Like you just he really, really works hard off the ball. You can tell that he's kind of just scratching the surface with like his change of speed. Um, but I don't feel like I mean, he hasn't really gone wild. He had some pretty good moments against Iona, but you really just kind of seen him. You've seen him kind of just impact their offense in the things just with his presence, the threat of him being there. I mean, and he makes himself a threat by hitting the occasional nasty shot. I mean, first, the first points he had in their last game, he like, you know, he ran through like three different screens, kind of doing like a figure eight around the court, hitting this nasty three pointer off the catch, balancing himself midair. And I mean, you hit a couple of those. It makes me think about, you know, years ago, maybe it was like even eight, nine years ago, Brad Stevens, when he was coaching the Celtics, said, Kyle Korver averages 15 points per game, but you have to defend him like he averages 35. And with Jordan <laughs> Hawkins, that, that speaks to your point about how he hasn't had like a, you know, a massive, you know, 30 plus point game or superb efficiency last round against Gonzaga, 20 points on six of 15. Arkansas, 24 points on 6 of 13. He had 12 and 13 in the opening two rounds as well. So it's not like he's had 30 on, you know, 8 of 12, you know, with 6, you know, 6 of 8 from 3, you know, banger of a performance. He's done a lot of what he's done all year long, and that's make himself a threat. The one thing that comes to mind watching him hit shots like that or, or be, be like a constant threat on the floor it's so much different than what we saw with Grady Dick and the Kansas loss against Arkansas, where they kind of just park him in the corner and did not make him a threat at all. Anthony Black defending him, you know, it became kind of easy. Whereas with Jordan Hawkins, he has more movement as a shooter. Do you think with Hawkins, he has he has more versatility than a Grady Dick as a shooter, or is it just that he gets that opportunity? within their system to show off those skills uh, that Dick does not, you know, for that Kansas offense. I mean, I think Hawkins is a way more kinetic mover, like you said. His mechanics, I actually think his mechanics in his footwork, I saw some people, I understand why people would do this, and I and I understand if, like, you're under, like, 20, 28, 30 range, why you would say this. I heard some people, I think, maybe see the UConn jersey, and they were doing the, like, oh, Ray Allen. It's like, 
at, at one there's one iteration of Ray Allen that that yeah okay yeah you could you could draw that parallel and I do understand it I think to give Ray just quickly to give Ray Allen respect he was a much more dynamic player earlier in his career like a crazy great ice you're score, talking but Hawk- Ray Allen with the heat like that that's the Ray yeah. Allen you're talking about Ray Allen at UConn was a dynamic scorer off the bounce off the dribble just like he was with the Bucks and the Sonics. And then he goes to Boston, and that's when he kind of had a, you know, I mean, he did that in Seattle too, but he was, a, yeah, he was a great on ball scorer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he get in the in the mid range. He was more like Booker, but he could like also get to oh, the yeah. basket, and like dunk on people. Like he, yes. he was like a real Hawkins is a little different. And I think that's a good segue to something about him is that you know throughout the season. I mean, he was one, it's built into their offense, the way they use him. It's different than the way Kansas plays. And I think that kind of caused what happened in Kansas. Bill Self not being there maybe was a part of this, that whenever they had to go into plans, you know, B, C, D, E, F, um, this one wasn't necessarily built there because um, Hawkins on the year is one of the heaviest off-screen players, 23.8% of his possessions, and that's 99th percentile. And he hit on one2 two uh, points per possession on that. And then he was a 44.3% three-point shooter, like a very, very quick electric shooter. Um, but the flip side of that, talking about like, not that we're holding him to the Ray Allen standard, because that would be really, <laughs> would be really ridiculous. He's a really <laughs> Hall of Fame player, but he's going to be, could be a good boy. Um, he's just a little bit of a paper mache finisher still going to the basket. And you can st- see some of that, you know, um, 53% at the rim and 44.3% on his two-point shots. Uh, and in the tournament, that was a little lower, too. So that's kind of the question for him, for me. And that I think we said that. That's kind of held true, I feel like, since the first time we talked about him back in the fall. 100%. I mean, I think with him, like, the shooting ability is undeniable. The at-room finishing, I believe, you know, the half-court percentage on Synergy is sub-50%. You know, it's only slightly above 50%, including transition, which is valuable. But, you know, half-court, you know, when the defense is set, um, I just pulled it up now, only 45% on layups in the half court, Jordan Hawkins is, and only one of 11 on floaters, which is something I have noted in the NBA draft guide profile where it's like, like for somebody who is not, in, you know, elite explosiveness around the basket, he would be, you know, he would really benefit from having a bit of a floater or a little mid-range pull-up. But I think, you know, maybe that's just not going to be his game. And that's, that's where I kind of have hesitations with him as a lottery prospect. But I do think, you know, the shooting ability, that will make him a constant weapon on the floor. How about with his defense? I mean, like, how, how does that factor in when you're grading him? He's only six foot five or so. It's not like he's six seven, six eight, and long arms. In my opinion, there's a bit of limited upside there as well. Yeah, I think it's going to be because he's not like a super athlete. Like we were talking about when he gets in the mid range, it's like he does have to elevate a lot just to get his shot off. I think the floater point is really good. I think that that's something that he's definitely he definitely should add um, just because he has good touch. And you were talking about, um, yeah, even in like the last five games. So if you think about the games in the tournament and then like the conference tournament final, yeah, he's at 33.3% at the rim. So definitely he needs to work mm. on that. Um, but uh, but yeah, defensively, I think it's going to be that's that's why I picked out Bryn Forbes for him. I thought that that was an interesting comp just for mm. him because physical build. Uh, um, I just think that they're they're similar on that front. If he can shoot the ball well enough, he, if he can get stronger and just sort of be a good team defender, I think it'll it'll help him get by because we've seen guys like that in the league. But I don't I don't know that I ever see him being like a plus defender. Yeah, more like a not a negative. 
<laughs> yeah. right? He's not going to be, I mean, he's just not going to be somebody that defenses aren't necessarily attacking over and over. He's not a liability, but it's not like he's a major plus defender. He's solid. And there's nothing wrong with that if your role is to be a knockdown shooting weapon for your team. I, I think a team in the mid to late first round that is in desperate need of shooting or has an offense that utilizes a lot of motion, he's somebody who could come in right away and, and be of a benefit to you. Also on UConn is Andre Jackson. I love him so much, just as much oh, as yeah. I did earlier in the season we talked about him. Um, Andre Jackson, he is a junior. This dude, I compare him to a honey badger in the draft guide. I feel like he's had a lot of plays <laughs> <laughs> like that where he's just flying around all over on the floor, Kyle. Uh, he, I, I don't know. I just think he feels like somebody, despite the fact he doesn't have a reliable jumper, it's 6'6", with long arms, a tenacious attitude and approach on defense, great playmaking skills. He just feels like somebody that's going to be able to carve out a role in the NBA for a team. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like it's big. It's It seems, but it's... I think what I what I like about him is you saw that I mean that Gonzaga game really sort of highlighted some of the ways that he takes pressure off of his jump shot. I don't think that that's going to stop being an issue though. Um, I mean he's probably going to have to shoot with a or he's gonna, probably going to need to play with like a stretch big, you know. Uh, but I think if if they're not if his tools are going to be able to be utilized to the point where like it's not a huge liability. But what we saw was he's very conscientious of like not allowing teams to play him as like a pure closeout player, you know? Like when he would catch the ball uh, on the opposite side of the ball, he's immediately rolling into like a dribble handoff. He's immediately trying to go into a pick and roll. Um, like we mentioned it on the One Shining Pod. I mean, you you just see little like glimpses of his IQ. I mentioned that play where he intercepted the pick and roll pass oh. and just, he just has great Beautiful. spatial awareness. Yeah, it, yeah, I was just like, that. that's one of my favorite plays of the tournament. Who do you think is going to be the better NBA player between Jackson and Hawkins? I think Hawkins is a safer bet just because I think I think the the shooting thing, I mean, like defensively, I think Hawk of course Hawkins has a lot of playmaking instincts too. I was I was making the point that there are there are a bunch of these guys in the tournament, man. I, we saw, you know, Jackson Davis is a little bigger, but then you and Igadaro is a little bigger, but you think about Andre. Um, there are just a bunch of these connector players. Like Anthony Black is more of an on ball. He has more things, I think, that can keep him on the floor like that are more reliable whereas he's more of a like a like a two three whereas Jackson's probably more of a four um at the NBA level I don't know but he can guard threes I feel like his switchability defensively is going to be pretty good though I mean two three four I feel like he's going to be fairly reliable on on that end of the floor I mean I, I asked that question and I agree Hawkins is the safer bet to be the better NBA player but I, I do wonder if maybe Jackson, there's a type of role or a team where he is just completely unleashed, where the weaknesses don't matter as much. Like I like, let's just say the Pacers drafted him 29th in the late first round, or with their early second, and you pair him with Halliburton, Miles Turner spacing the floor from the five, Matherin at the wing. You get shooters, healed, you know, and just. I don't know. I just feel like with their movement and their style of play and the way Halliburton moves the ball, that that like that's where Jackson becomes a very very interesting type of player with how he can enhance and complement the the primary ball handlers on the team. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, isn't he that type of guy yeah. who could really supercharge a star and vice versa? 
Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but I was I was looking at that roster. I kind of I kind of dig what you're saying here. Yeah, because you I think you you just go ahead and directly take what he does for UConn and just like yeah, plug copy it and in because you, you've got it. <laughs> <laughs> just control me that yeah, shit, baby. I don't know. Uh, like yeah, like <laughs> yeah, I, I would enjoy it. Yeah, if uh, if. Uh, if Rick Carlisle just went up to the mic and said "Control V," uh, yeah, but, Buddy, I mean, <laughs> I wonder, Buddy Heal is a more. I wonder if Carlisle even knows what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. What, what is he like? Seventy? <laughs> he took. Who did he Carlisle? take? He took a picture. Oh, he's not seventy. Is he? Sixty-three, he's man. 60. That's disrespectful. Yeah. He's sixty-three. You're mean. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have Kevin. Kevin's going to get punched at the county fair if you ever. I mean, ask he, I mean he's yeah, been he's, coaching forever, man. Yeah, he's been around the game for a long time. I mean, yeah, uh, he was on those teams with Ralph Sampson in the 80s for Virginia around basketball for a long time. But um, if you just look at, uh, like, Buddy Heald is a, is a more accomplished, polished, or j- we'll just say he's a more evolved version of what of what Hawkins sure. does. Of course, Buddy Heald is, what, 30 years old, <laughs> um, which is amazing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you you have shooters, you have, like, and I said, like I said, a stretch five with, with Turner, that's pretty interesting, man. I mean, and, and you add defensive tech, uh, you know, connectivity. I would I would kick the tires on that if I were the yeah. Pacers. I don't know. I, Did you already have that one? Pl- no, it just came to mind after asking you the question because it's just like I, there's something about Andre Jackson that like there's just something about that dude with the way he plays. Like you mentioned, intercepting that that pass. Like there's just he does that all the time, crashing the boards. He's just got that it factor about him where if he's just passable as a shooter, even if he's not, there's just something there where I just I just think he's the type of guy, a team that makes sense for him is going to draft him. It, it, like, does, does that make sense? Like, oh, you don't draft Andre Jackson unless he makes sense for your roster. Yeah, I mean, he's he definitely has, I feel like he's conditional in the way. You get a vision for him. The- like, you get a vision for yeah. Jackson. But he is conditional. Like, yes. I, I don't think that he can play on the floor. NBA defenses are a little bit different, you know, um, clearly. But, um, yeah, I think any team that has shooting in their front court could put him on the floor. I just, uh, I'm I'm pretty, I get worried about, like, putting more than one non-shooter out there. I feel like if you're, you're probably going to have a pretty competent dunker spot person, you're going to, like, I don't know. But I'm just looking at the other teams that need shoot, that have shooting in that way. All right, yeah, it makes sense to me. With Adama Sanogo, six foot nine, he's a junior starting center for UConn. I feel like with the NBA, I mean, his role could potentially be more of like a, a big jumbo size forward, Kyle. I mean, we saw UConn switch some screens late in possessions against Arkansas earlier in the tournament with Sanogo. Do you think he has projectable versatility moving forward in the NBA? Maybe like right now he's listed at 245. If you're if you're talking about Sanogo at 225, 230. Do you see him as more of a switchable piece or is he more of going to be like an undersized center type moving forward in the NBA? Uh, it seems like he could play in smaller lineups. Um, I, I think that he, I like Sonogo. I, I've kind of come around on him more as the year has gone on, to be honest with you, because I've, he's a much better passer than I think he gets credit for. And this is something that I kind of started to pay more and more attention to as we went on as, as the as the year went on, but he's pretty efficient at the rim. We've seen him be really, he really smartly punishes mismatches in that Arkansas game. It just looked like high schoolers trying to guard like a, <laughs> like a division one player. Like he just looked like the big brother, like 
he is very smart and calculated about that stuff. And we've even seen him shoot, step out and shoot the three a little bit. Um, I'm wondering, do you think he's more or less mobile than like an Isaiah Stewart? Because mm. I think he's a better passer than Stewart. I'm curious just about that because Stewart's been able to survive. Do you think Sonogo for for cheaper would be? I don't know. What do you where do you think he compares to him on terms of like the the mobility? At this stage, maybe slightly less mobile. But that that's where I'm intrigued when like you know you think six nine like will a team want him to trim a little bit of weight you know from two forty five with what he's listed at now. I think he could become more mobile moving forward. And we've kind of seen, you mentioned him stepping out and shooting threes, like just looking at his basic box score numbers as a freshman, 57% from the free throw line. As a sophomore, 69%. As a junior, 77%. And shooting threes for the first time at 35% on 49 attempts. It's a small sample size, but he's he has great touch from the post, as you mentioned, can punish smaller players. It's not going to be his game in the NBA. But it, maybe this is somebody who can be molded over the course of time. He has been so far with UConn as a shooter, you know, as an offensive presence. Maybe in the NBA, there's something there with him versatility-wise. Yeah, and he's he does like his basic things within his kind of his repertoire well. Like he's a 77.9% finisher at the rim on the season. Um, he, yeah, I, I, th- I think like scratching the surface of the three-point shot, like he's kind of, indicated that throughout the year and I, I I don't I feel like he plays a little bit bigger than six nine I don't know whenever I watch I what him you mean. He, yeah. seems, he seems bigger than six nine um but I mean it, it might be a struggle in the same way like he might have to find the right fit it might be a two-way type situation defensively is he going to be fast enough to keep up in space you know UConn's team defends pretty well but I, I just I'm I'm curious if if he will be able to hold up in that sense it's interesting with Sonogo. You know, if you're if you're stacking up all of UConn's prospects right now, I'd rank Donovan Klingon their backup five ahead of Sonogo as the long-term NBA prospect. Granted, you know, he plays only 13 minutes per game this year coming off the bench in the tournament. He, it's not like he's playing significantly more, but in his 12, 13, 14 minutes per game, this dude is making a serious name for himself as an NBA prospect. And you know, seven foot two, major shot blocker, you know, runs the floor really, really hard, you know, great finisher on the basket with really good hands. It's very similar to what we talked about earlier in the season with him. I wonder if he's if he's shown enough to at least test the waters, despite, you know, not playing a lot this year. Uh, what have you seen from Donovan Klingon there, backup freshman center? I'm wondering if somebody might get ahead on this man because mm-hmm. you know we saw we saw the value that that uh, that Kessler yes showed and and we saw like that and I I was texting with our our guy Barrier about he's a Yukon guy but I was saying I thought his mobility he's probably going to have to work and get his like hips stronger so that he can respond quicker to ball movement but he moves really really well like for his size and he's gigantic uh, his shot blocking instincts are awesome. Um, his in the last five games, uh, his block what what they call the Hakeem the his block percentage and steal percentage are just through the roof. Um, he's been he comes in and he's just a terror. And the thing that like I've been really blown away, impressed with is just how well he runs in transition. Oh, man. man, Arkansas's bigs. He was just outrunning them over and over again, and he'd make a play on one end and get to the other end, um, in, in just lightning speed and um. Dude, like on that on that note, he had a play like that against Gonzaga that comes to mind. I think it was 
late first or early second half, I think. And Drew Timmy yeah. was posting up and Klingon first, like he Klingon just towers over Timmy. Like he makes Timmy look so tiny. And Timmy spun left to the left side of the hoop and Klingon just heavily contested or maybe like slightly blocked the shot. And Timmy fell, you know, baseline. And I think Jordan Hawkins grabbed the rebound and, and Klingon just full sprint. Straight up the middle of the floor. And Hawkins, you know, dribbled up, found him with a high pass where only Klingon could catch it. And he just, like, cleanly caught the ball, turned without missing a beat, and just yammed it on Julian Strother. Like, just, it was, like, all within a matter of five, six seconds with the the heavily contest on Timmy. Full sprint. Dunk. And it's like, okay, this is what you want from a seven-foot-two center in the NBA. Like, these are the skills that you want. He's got them all, man. Yeah, he's not a loafer either at all. Mm-mm. Like, I, it, it was poor Drew Timmy. Like, he just, <laughs> he really did. He just, he just engulfed him. I remember I the play you're talking about. Klingon was just like, all right, that was adorable. Uh, you hear that shot's not going <laughs> nice up. Spin move. And Timmy, <laughs> Timmy, and Timmy just like <laughs> impotently just kind of fell to the ground. And uh, Klingon was just like, you know, uh, have a seat, old man. And just, uh, yeah, he, he sprints, but I, I um, I do like his shooting touch a little better than Kessler's. I think Kessler's maybe a little, a touch quicker. Like his movements are a little tighter right now, but I feel like he probably will stay. I have no intel on this. I don't know any, anybody in the UConn community that, I, this is just me guessing, but from what I can tell about him, he's he chose UConn because it was really close to home. I know his family is really tight. Um, I would not be surprised if he comes back. Uh, and play. I guess the question is like, how high is too high? You know, because I could see a team taking a chance on him. They'd be mm-hmm. stupid not to. But the For question sure. is just like, how much guaranteed money can he get? How high do you think he could climb next year? I mean, based on the current climate of the NBA, we saw Walker Kessler basically, uh, I don't know, torpedo the value of one of the worst trades of all time. I mean, based on what he's done, how high do you think he could climb? I, mean, uh, I, 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 I think he can end up being a lottery pick. Next year, you know, on the surface right now, it seems like a weaker class. You know, you go back for your sophomore year. If you're a monster playing heavier minutes, because that's what NBA teams would want to see. Can you produce at this level in your 25th, 26th, 27th minute on the floor? You know, not just playing, you know, 12, 13 minutes, you know, off the bench against weaker opponents all year. Uh, I don't see why not. You know, I, I think even this year, like you said, if you're a team that wants to get ahead of it, I mean, if he does test the waters or there's a way to back channel to him at this point, I mean, James Najee, Trace Jackson Davis, Derek Lively, you know, we just saw Kalel Ware. He's going back, you know, to college or he's at least not going to the NBA draft. He's going into the transfer portal. Uh, we'll see if he could end up doing, you know, the G League. Dayron Holmes, Zach Eady. I think, I mean, I haven't had Klingon in on my big board, but like I have his profile ready to go. If he declares, might throw it in there anyway after next week. You know, if UConn ends up winning at all, I think Klingon deserves to be in the conversation with some of those other names that I just mentioned that are late first, early to mid second round guys. Yeah, it's possible. You kind of, you threw me for a loop there. I, I was trying to see, did Derek Lively didn't announce he's coming back, did he? I saw Proctor did. I don't, uh, Proctor Lively is coming probably, back. Yep. Yeah. Lively is not announced, has he? No, uh, I didn't see it, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, um, I would be surprised, actually. It just, that, that would be, Duke, Duke's going to be really talented. We were talking about that uh, today over text, but yeah, man, he's, he's impressive. 
he he seems like he could, the more that he tightens up those movements and the more he explores the shooting, he strikes me as a rotation. Pro, I mean, a backup big right now, but it, you know, it's a value. It's a valuable thing to have somebody come in and just be that big. That is that he moves so gracefully for his size. There's not if you think about the guys that are that that big. I mean, like there's who aren't stars. It's it's like uh, who's the, who's the guy for. Um, uh, for Boston, I'm blanking on the the kid that played for Vanderbilt that holds his hands up in the air. What's uh, Luke Cornett or um, players like that? I mean, he, he's probably in that range, but I think he's more talented than Luke Cornett. Honestly, like I think he moves better. He's just uh, he's a better shot blocker, intriguing player. Well, one thing is for sure, UConn is going to have a major size advantage over Miami in their Final Four matchup. But on Miami, there are some potential NBA prospects uh, that we're going to talk about here. Nigel Pack. You know, pure shooter, six-foot guard. He had seven threes against Houston in the Sweet 16. Isaiah Wong, 22-year-old junior, six-foot-four, really like a slippery scorer, at-rim finisher, can contort his body. He had 27 points against Indiana, 20 against Houston, 14 against Texas. And then Jordan Miller, six-foot-seven wing, senior, 23 years old, went to Juco prior to transferring to Miami, had 27 points on seven of seven from the field, 13 of 13 from the free throw line and the Miami comeback win against Texas. All three of these guys average between two and 3.3 assists per game. There's no pure, you know, traditional point guard in Miami. They all handle, they all distribute. Kyle, how would you, you know, between these three, Pack, Wong, and Miller, who do you think is the best NBA prospect of that group? Uh, I think it's between Wong and Miller, honestly, because Pack is, is such a score first. But I mean, if you look, he is. Pack is a fun player to watch just because um, I was cracking up watching um, the way that uh, he was getting defended by um, uh, who was the team that they beat. Uh, he well, he just he's been lighting people up in the tournament. He and if you look at his shot chart, I mean, it's all over. It, he just he gets buckets from all over the place. He's a great pull up shooter. He's fearless. He has great <laughs> range. He shoots it well he's out so of fun. DHOs. <laughs> yeah, I, I took some so screenshots fun. of him like where he caught the HOs and you were just like, surely not. And he just, bam, <laughs> it was Houston. It was Houston. Yeah. yeah. With Marcus Sasser kind of in his grill. Right. And like, he's just pulling anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, he, the boy's got some, some cojones on him. Yeah. It was, uh, but you know, all of Miami does. That's the thing about mm-hmm. it. And once you feel them coming, you could just kind of sense Texas be like, Oh no. Like that game was so wild, man. Like, um, I, I couldn't believe it. Like when I looked down and it was six points, I, I was shocked. But te- it seemed like Texas was just like thoroughly outplaying them. But once Miami gets going, like Wong, that's the thing too. Like Wong has, he's probably one of the most like powerful deceleration athletes in college basketball. Honestly, man, once he gets in that middle, he's tough. I mean, he did a good job creating against Marcus Carr, right? Like the the basket he had with five minutes left against Carr, like a double hesitation dribble. Got Carr to bite on that, then went back right, stops on a dime right outside the restricted area, and then he tosses up like this weird one-handed fadeaway floater. I mean, like he's just got all those types of shots like that, like playground shots. Yeah, I mean, he's not this level of player, but his movements give me like, I don't want to get struck by lightning, but like they give me this like Dwayne Wadey thing where he like, <laughs> just the way he gets in the mid-range. Future NBA Hall of Famer. <laughs> I know what you're saying. No, it's a pure physical thing. How about I mean, like Jordan not, Crawford? Can we like turn that down a little bit? Jordan Crawford type? <laughs> he's been, he's not, it's, it's an athletic thing. It's more that like he just, when he gets in the middle, he, he just like, he just, 
freezes people in this really powerful way when he gets really low to the ground. And he just, he reminds me of a player who would have been drafted higher in the like 2000s. Like, I just feel like he's that type of guy. And you got to wonder about his shot, but they were pushing him left. So that's a concern within his game too. But Jordan Miller, I think, is another one of these connector guys who can play inside. He's like a very, got really great hands. He's fast. He finishes well around the rim. He's another one of those guys that's just kind of a connector glue. These fast front court players have been a really big theme of the tournament, I feel like. Yeah, I like Jordan Miller, man. I mean, he's shooting 35.6% this year for Miami behind the arc, 33% in his five total years going back to George Mason. Um, you know, below average from behind the arc, but defensively, he defended Jabari Smith last year from Miami. This year, he tends to take on the toughest matchup. He's six seven. You know, he doesn't make mistakes on offense, makes the right pass. You know, he has four fouls in the game, and he's still, you know, defending at a high level despite that. You know, he's scoring at the rim. It's, like, almost surprising, you know, how often he's just, you know, isolating and not just, like, attacking closeouts and rhythm. Um, like, a, that, that's with him, that's just part of his, like, slashing game for Miami, whereas in the NBA, you hope that three-point number goes up. I think it's going to need to, but he has a baseline of skills uh, with his defense, with his decision-making, that you feel like he's going to get opportunities in the NBA. Plus, he's a lefty. He looks cool. <laughs> yeah, whenever they go small, man, he just torches people. Like, he yeah. just torches his matchup. We saw him do that against against Texas. Um, I, I just want to rewatch that game just because it was so fun. I just got the itch to do it. Um, yeah, I mean, at the rim, he's 72.9% finisher on the season. And, um, yeah, just a, just a really efficient, smart player. I could see, I could see a team... I could see a good team just picking him up and, and having him be a part of the rotation. All right, Kyle. Now let's talk about the prospects that either help or hurt themselves in the tournament so far, starting off with some top five-ish, top 10 prospects. Brandon Miller, 0 of 5 for zero points in the first round, 5 of 17 for 19 points in the second round. And then he had his big stinker that everybody was talking about. Nine points on three of 19 in the third round, the Alabama loss, where he just could not buy a bucket. Verno asked me on Tuesday's episode of The Mismatch, does this affect his draft stock in your eyes? And I said, no. Where do you land with that same question? Does his tournament performance affect his draft stock? He had more turnovers than he had field goals in the NCAA tournament. I think that's worth noting, too. (laughs) Um, Should I take that as a yes? (laughs) No, it doesn't change anything for me. And I'll I'll tell you why. Because I I went back and I watched closely. I think, think, And there is a pattern throughout the the course of the year that that we already knew was there. We, We said it ad nauseum, which was him dealing with physicality off the dribble. But his glimpses... Um, and we we always invoke the name of uh, you know Jabari last year and that his struggles. Brandon is at least venturing to explore and experiment in ways that Jabari wasn't. And I really do. Upon like watching the game again, I really do think that that groin was bothering him because I, I time marked a couple different spots. Five forty five in the first half, he he got up and was holding his holding his look like his upper, you know, inner thighs. Um, let's see. There was another one at 1452 in the second half. He just got uh, his 
his guy that he was defending just blew by him. I mean, like he couldn't he couldn't shuffle at all laterally. Uh, he just didn't look right. Whenever he got in the middle of the floor, he looked uncomfortable. Um, but I think the things that we did see throughout the game, and, and this was a bad matchup if you're trying to if you're trying to baby an injury like that because San Diego State is older. They're stronger. They get up in you. They were fouling a lot. They kind of set the pace early. Like, we're going to play really physically with these guys and try to make them uncomfortable. Um, but there was a clear kind of difference in his numbers. Like, if you look at him in conference, his rim finishing was 75.4. In the last five games of the season, it was 37.5. Um, and then you look at his two-point percentage, 61.6 in conference. And he was amazing in the SEC tournament. And then last five games, 33.3%. But he was still creating. That kind of turned him into a more of a passer, though. This is, And you just tell me if you agree or disagree with this. But I thought, I thought he was brilliant as a passer, despite his, the, the scoring stuff was really distracting. But he was phenomenal in his, like, you know, scoring's a part of it. And that's the thing that's going to need to be there for his passing to pop. But he, re- he really blew me away with some of the reads that he was making in the passing touch. I mean, he had that sexy offhand pass to the roller, you know, with his left hand, just like so seamlessly off the dribble. And we talked about this, like one of our first podcasts we did back in November, you know, we're like, yeah, he scores. But the playmaking, like some of the passes he made went under pressure and in the pick and roll early in the year, there were the signs of this. And, you know, throughout the tournament, we called we, it. Yeah, I mean, we did, we like, we saw some of that early on, and we did see this in the tournament. It's just, I hadn't thought a lot about that groin injury, Kyle. I think you could be onto something there because it felt like, you know, like against South Carolina, he had the game tying layup in the final seconds. He had the game winning layup uh, in overtime. Like all the progress that he made throughout the year as an at room finisher just felt like it was gone. In part, maybe because facing tougher game planning defenses. In part, maybe because mm-hmm. of, you know, the injury. But overall, I still think progress was made. And, you know, three or four bad games in a row to end the season inside the arc doesn't necessarily change that for me. I, I think with Brandon Miller, I'm happy you mentioned the playmaking because I think with him, part of the reason he's the number two pick on my board and potentially on yours and maybe many NBA teams, depending on who lands at number two, is not just the scoring. It is the playmaking ability. It's the hustle on defense. It's the chase down blocks. It's taking charges. It's, you know, going after rebounds out of the out of his area. It's all of these other qualities um, besides just the scoring ability. And I felt like he did make his mark in other ways aside from scoring the ball. Yeah, and there were there were definitely times where he set he just was settling. I mean, you know, same thing for Jairus Walker we can talk about, but like he he just he there was a couple times on the left side of the floor he had a smaller player on him um well i mean most of the guys guarding him were smaller but he had like a double maybe even a triple gap like he had just like a huge runway to, to potentially attack the basket and he just said he kept settling for quick threes and the shot looked looked good but he just looked hurried i could be totally wrong about the groin thing but i don't think I am because <laughs> just because the way the way he was like settling and the way he looked on defense he just didn't look right and uh I don't know it was San Diego State was a tough matchup for that because they're old man bunch of bunch of five-year seniors bunch of uh, transfers um they were they were defending the hell out of Alabama and uh, he just uh it, w- it was not a good scene if you're uh, and, and the most one of the most impressive passes you mentioned, he had one that I think, you know, I think well, what's his name? Dan Bonner pointed out in the mo- in the moment where he had that lefty transition pass to the corner, which was really nice. 
My favorite pass that he threw was he ran a pick and roll with Bediaco and he dribbled off of it to the left, angled back to go right. Bediaco was rolling. His man was behind him. And instead of trying to rifle it directly to like his chest, he threw it to the right of Bediaco, which is where the window was for the pass. Bediaco got it, pivoted, dunked. Um, I think that flew under the radar. That was that was a really tricky pass that he made. Um, if anything, I think I might be more encouraged just because I thought his he was just making plays that kids his age just don't. He's a little older, granted, that w- which we've talked about, but dudes his size, his age just don't make passes like that off the dribble if you if they can shoot the way he does. Jarris Walker, you mentioned him, uh, Houston freshman, six foot eight, long arms, two hundred forty pounds. You know, got a massive frame. He did not do well scoring the ball against Miami, 4 of 16. He ended up with 16 points, 11 rebounds, 5 assists, 4 blocks. You know, much better in the earlier rounds for the number one ranked Houston. Did Jairus Walker help or hurt himself? Or maybe you know, does he, his stock remain unchanged, in your opinion? Well, I guess it depends on where you are. I'm a little... I've kind of had, like, a, it's similar to Scoot. I've had a little uh, just kind of inkling of doubt in my mind about him where I've I've wondered whether or not his creation was going to translate and I've been keeping an eye on that all year. I'm really confident about him as a team defender. I'm, I'm confident about him becoming a decent spot-up shooter. We saw him make some pretty smart passes. Some of the things about him settling, yeah, I mean, he when Houston's offense was affected by Sasser not being there and then like Shed looked a little uncomfortable at times, I think that affected Walker. I don't think he was ready to create on that stage in that scenario, you saw Kelvin Sampson talking about the freshman. He was worried about him, uh, maybe probably more defensively. It's probably a push for me, leaning a little, a little skeptical, but that's kind of where I was before. Are you heartened or disheartened? What do you think? Mm, mostly unchanged, to be honest with you. I mean, I had him fifth on my board. <laughs> Neither one of us food. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I mean, I, I think I'll keep him there for now. Uh, I mean, I, th- I think his defense was a, a little bit, you know, less locked down than I would have liked uh, throughout the tournament. A lot of tough matchups, I guess, especially against Miami. Um, you'd like to see him perform a bit better there, but I'm not going to I'm not going to move off of him at all. I still love his potential defensive versatility moving forward. I think offensively, you're right. You know, with some of the injuries that Houston had, it did put more on his shoulders. Uh, I think with him. If you go back to his high school film, there's still some flashes that I, I remain attached to as a creator where I think you pair him with a great, you know, pick and roll creator, you know, him screening and rolling. I, I just see him as a guy who's got to flourish with NBA spacing out of the short roll. Uh, he can just do a lot off the dribble in that area of the floor that he can't do in the college setting. This is a funny transition then to one of the next guys in the next group, which is you're doing the thing that I'm doing with the, with a guy for Arkansas, which is Nick Smith, where you, you're attached to this thing that you have in your mind from the past where you're mm-hmm. like, I saw that. I know I did, and I do this every year with some guys. And I kind of am in the same spot. We had a funny conversation over text during the game where you just said, he stinks. <laughs> and I started laughing. <laughs> but I mean, I just... He does stink. I so feel let's, like, let's move on to Nick Smith, and he stinks. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, I, I think... I think um, my my defense of him, and this is kind of I don't know, and this you know if it, if I if I felt some conviction that I was like really really starting to feel some doubt, like you know I I would come off of this, but yeah, there is the stuff I saw in the past. If you've been listening to this show, you've probably take a drink. You've heard me say this, but like if you watch 
if you watch him in the tournament, his shot wasn't going down. He definitely felt out of rhythm with the other guys that Arkansas had. Now, Anthony Black sort of receded more into a playmaking two-way role. He wasn't as on-ball dominant because Ricky Council and because Devontae Davis, Debo, uh, because of the, those guys, I felt like it was a little harder for Nick to get in rhythm. And he, the harder he tried, it seemed like the more out of rhythm he got. Uh, he was just living and dying with with misses. Defensively, um, UConn made him look like a fool many times. I mean, specifically Hawkins, he was just completely lost. But there is misguided effort. So this and is there's a, lack. a big but. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, young guys. He's also the youngest guy of those freshmen. That's something that needs to be noted, too. He's not even 19 yet. So, mm-hmm. and I think if you look at, at a guy like, you know, in, in last year's draft, if you look at uh, Jaden Hardy, this reminds me of that. I, I'm just saying, I, I just think the weird year, the weird year theory, I'm just looking at him and I'm thinking his shot does look good. And another thing to think to look at is that he doesn't loaf his motor. He's misguided at times, but his motor, I know you think he stinks, Kev, but I really think, I think somebody's <laughs> going to get a great value. I really do. I think he's a modern player. I think he has floater game. I think he's a fearless, uh, he attacks the rim fearlessly. He can shoot the three off the dribble. I think he's going to become a good passer. I think he's going to end up being a really good value in the draft, man. I honestly wouldn't be surprised if people see that mistake from last year and just go ahead and snag him earlier, despite all the weirdness. It's very possible. I mean, I, I guess it depends on how you value, you know, what he did in high school. Um, I mean, I've talked to a couple of NBA people about him, and they said to me, you know, Nick Smith has nothing to prove in the tournament. This was like, you know, after I think the opening rounds, they said, yeah, Nick Smith doesn't need to prove anything else moving forward. And I'm like, Really? He doesn't need to prove anything else, really. So they need. So they agree with me. Basically, they agree with you because looking yeah, okay. back at the high school stuff, yeah, they're like, yeah, we feel like we saw enough with everything that he's shown in high school so far, and agree to disagree. There, um, I, I just don't think he's ever like he's looked like a theoretical guy to me at each level. You know, theoretically, he could be a superb, you know, efficiency scorer. Theoretically, he could become a guy that you rely on to, you know, hit shots off the bounce for you at the end of the shot clock. Theoretically, he could be, you know, a great at-room finisher. It's just it hasn't manifested. And, like, maybe all of that will pan out because you're right. The one thing we definitely agree on with Nick Smith is he does not let the scoring necessarily affect the other aspects of his game, the playmaking, the effort, the, the mindset and approach. You like those things from a guy who primarily you hope offers you scoring, that he does offer that other stuff. That's where you hope that it all pans out. But if I'm drafting, I'd just rather somebody else make the pick. You know, I, I think I, Nick Smith is just the guy that I would rather not bet on. And if I lose, if I miss out, so be it. There's other guys in this draft that I like, including his own teammate, Anthony Blackmore. If I'm looking to like, you know, the cornerstone of my franchise, yeah, I'd feel a little pit in my stomach, you know, weirdness about that. But if I have something that is kind of already working, I would take a chance on him. Well, is there a team that comes to mind? Mark the the tape. Come back. Mid to late lottery, you know, mid first round. Is there a team that comes to mind where you're like, put Nick Smith there and I'm going to feel really, really good about what what that means for his development? Like, is there a favorite fit for Nick Smith for you? Hmm. I would have said the Knicks, but I, they've got a few more of those guys now with Grimes and uh, with Josh Hart. So I don't know. Quickly, if that would be the right Quickly fit. is awesome, dude. Yeah, with Quickly, his forty-point game the other night was so fun. 
Quickly is like a more realized version of what he does. Um, yeah, I mean, I could see the Hawks. Hey, by by the way, see... by the way, quickly somebody that I missed on too. I had quickly too low. Yeah, but quickly well, was a better defender in in college than Smith. But it's anyway, true. It's yes. true. It's true. I could see some of these teams, like I could see the Heat trying to take a chance on him. I could see the Lakers, these teams that need to make talent upside plays. Um, I could see that I could see the Raptors doing it, get him in there. And I think that could like change the way he defends. I think he's just, I don't know. I don't know if I have a perfect, perfect fit, especially among the teams at the top. I don't, I wouldn't like him next to LaMelo. I don't think that Charlotte needs to be thinking that's really, really high for him. But let's talk about Anthony Black. Um, Anthony Black. He was a terror in that Kansas game, man. Defensively, oh I was just, I was elated. I, could, I couldn't have enjoyed it. And Tate and I were watching that game at like, uh, what's it called? Tom's Urban. And it, everyone else was watching a UFC fight and uh, or MMA. And uh, Tate That's and I were like losing our minds. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> No one gave a shit, man. <laughs> yeah. Us coastal elites. <laughs> Definitely. You guys do not give a rip. But the, he was... He was amazing. I mean, he he put Grady Dick in a headlock. He put Dick in a headlock and didn't let him out the whole game. Uh, well, he just <laughs> and, and we'll talk more about his teammate. They defensively were just a horrible, horrible matchup for Kansas. And and if he's going to be, he's just a. I'm gonna I'm gonna go like uh, I'm gonna go real Hooper uh, lexicon here and just say he's just a dog, man. I mean, he just plays his ass Got that off. Dog and he doesn't he doesn't need to shoot. He's a good passer, and we but we we saw him. I, I just feel like his value adds went through the roof in the in this last part of the season. So you think that. he improved his stock? He he helped himself. I do. Do you agree? I mean, do do well when you say that. So I have him on the last big board update eleven. Is that too low? It might end up being too low. Should he be in the top five, top six, top seven conversation? He could ease. I think what you have to ask yourself is if we came back and looked at this five years from now, I mean, is that possible? Yeah, I think that's real possible. I think he's the type of guy, if you got him into a, a team that um, maybe just needed an extra piece, like the, he, he, he does so many different things. I think the shooting is the part that's going to have to come around, obviously, because, you know, 30.1%, which is, which is not so good, 32nd percentile in, the, in college, and it's gonna, that's even lower in the NBA. You're not going to be, you know, if you continue shooting like that, that's brutal. But, I mean, he's, he's kind of in that Dyson Daniels zone of, like, he's big enough to be on the floor and guard multiple positions, and he can pass the ball. Um, we've seen he attacks the rack like a maniac. He's super disruptive on defense, man. 2.1 steals per game. Um, and he gets a lot of blocks for his position too. Um, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident about him as an NBA player. Yeah, absolutely. And he will move up on my next update. I'm not sure how high yet, but he will be moving up from 11. So, so far on Arkansas, we've talked about Anthony Black helped himself. Nick Smith, I think he hurt himself. You're kind of, you know, remaining the same, understandably so. Jordan Walsh is the guy who a lot of people have talked about, um, kind of introduced himself to a more mainstream audience. Um, all season long, we've talked about him with Arkansas. Overall, I'd say he helped himself as well, though, Kyle. Yeah, he's, I, I almost feel like he maybe should play another year, but I think defensively, uh, he put on some of the most impressive defensive performances of the tournament, in my opinion. He had some good stretches, even against Hawkins. Um, where he was moving with Hawkins and bothering him, the speed, you know, we saw him do a little bit of everything. We saw him contest guys at the rim. We saw him contest. I mean, he just, 
he frustrated Jalen Wilson in a way that I thought ended Kansas' season, honestly, because K- Wilson was so frustrated that uh, it just pulled Kansas out of their offense. And uh, he's he has the projection. We talked about him after Maui, and we both were like, whoa, you know, and he just he bookended the season with some, some similar stuff. Um, the offensive stuff, he's hesitant, you know, like, but I see him as like a, his offensive archetype, I think, in the NBA, he could be like a tough assignment guy. I really see it because I see him get, he could get a lot stronger too. Yeah, I mean, he has that frame to add on even more weight if necessary. He's versatile. He's tough. He's got that dog in him, right? I mean, it, it, with him, it's the type of thing where, like with so many players, well, what level does his jumper reach? That that's like the question with him. He shot twenty seven point eight percent from three this year, seventy one point two percent from the free throw line. I I think he can become, you know, slightly below average. You know, if he can be a 35 percent shooter from three, that's all you need from Jordan Walsh if he's going to be a stopper that you can throw into certain matchups. I love him, man. I, I love Jordan Walsh. I really do. I I I I hope he tests the waters. Maybe he'll show off an improved jumper through pre-draft workouts and show and you know lock himself in as a late first round pick or an early second with a, a perfect situation for him to land with. Yeah, and, and you think about like guys in the league, like like a Herb. A Herb is somebody that comes to mind. Like he has that kind of size, and but you know Herb's shooting has regressed, so we can no longer point to him as like a success story. Mm. He's also a lot older than Walsh, but I feel like Walsh is way less of a lost cause or like a hopeless cause as a shooter. He's just hesitant, you know. And I think I think if he if he gets, which it's a big bet, but I think the defensive upside is so extreme that I think it would be worth taking a chance on for sure. All right, for the final part of our podcast here, as we go through players that helped or hurt themselves through March Madness, let's go a little rapid fire around here, Kyle. I'm going to throw some prospects at you. You let me know if you think they helped or hurt themselves. Colby Jones, out of Xavier. Overall, I think he helped himself. I think his, I mean, for him, it was just sort of like brand awareness, I think, too. But I think he he generally played pretty well. I think he helped himself. <laughs> uh, I agree with you there. Love Colby Jones. Uh, Dylan Mitchell, freshman forward out of Texas. Had some moments where we saw the out-of-area athleticism, where we saw the drive. and the, I'm giving him kind of an incomplete, though. I still I think he has a lot more to show. Uh, I think he's going to end up undrafted. Probably, you know, he's going to end up like a G League guy. I kind of feel like he should probably come back to school. Um, I don't know. Do you agree? I agree with you. I think Mitchell should go back to school for another year. And, I mean, I'd like to see him shoot better than 40% from the free throw line. Abysmal. Abysmal. Yeah, yeah that, that'd be really nice. Trace Jackson Davis, senior, six foot nine center. We talked about him on a podcast about the Indiana prospects a couple weeks ago. Did he help or hurt himself? Uh, I think he's kind of cru- his stock was up, and I think he's just kind of cruising where he was. He showed all the stuff that we liked. I thought his passing looked great. He looked totally under control. Uh, Miami was a really tough matchup for Indiana in general, but he looks more comfortable, I think, than the other guys out there. And I, I think that he all the stuff that we talked about on that pod is still true about how he projects his handoff guy, lob threat, defensively versatile, shooting still not there at all, not a total non-shooter, but he showed all the things that we liked. I think he's he's cruising where he was. Well, how about his teammate, freshman guard, Jalen hood Shafino? He ended the year at 33.3% from three, shot three of 11 from behind the arc, and eight of 22 from the field against Miami in their second round loss. Did he help or hurt himself? 
I mean, maybe it depends on what you thought about him before. He was streaky. We knew that. I think mm-hmm. he's going to end up being, you know, uh, do you have him as like a, a late first rounder or where do you have him? Uh, mid, mid, mid first round. Yeah. I mean, okay, they, okay. He, I mean, we saw him crush Zach Eady drop coverage a couple weeks back against Purdue. And then we see him struggle to score efficiently from the outside pretty much all throughout the tournament. Yeah, he's prone to like being baited into settling for weird shots. I think Zach Eady's a good segue there. Zach Eady, I'll just go, I'll just start it there. Um, hurt himself. I mean, I, I, I don't, but I also was skeptical beforehand. Uh, this kind of cemented it. We saw a team that was small that could spread it out and attack him with drivers. Um, I mean, overall, he had a fairly efficient game, but I mean, they just enveloped him and poked the ball away. And he had a hard time catching and securing the ball. Um, a lot of uh, Fairleigh Dickinson's like live ball turnovers were a result of uh, entry passes to him, whether you want to fault the entry pass thrower. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like he he hurt himself, but it's a similar thing. I was I was worried about him before. That Purdue loss, man. Like their offense was so gross. <laughs> oh my god, it was bad. They had no nowhere to go. It was it was it was a joke, man. It, it, yeah, it wasn't just Edie. I mean they. They had wide open shots. They were missing. It was it was pathetic. It was pitiful. With Kansas State, uh, Marquise Noel and Naquan Tomlin. I know. I think I believe Tate. Maybe you were Tate had mentioned on one shining podcast. Tomlin is a guy that deserves an NBA chance. These guys kind of you know help themselves. They introduce themselves to a lot of people. Uh, what should listeners know about Tomlin and Noel? It's been talked about as his story has been one of the like the more like darling NCAA tournament stories is just that he didn't play high school basketball. He's super raw. He has that uh he does a little bit of everything, man. I mean, he he can he I saw him cash in corner this threes. Did play high school basketball? Naquan Tomlin. Oh, Tom, um okay. he's very okay. like make, we're talking sure. about I I like players like this that were building habits where they kind of don't exist, you know, rather than like this guy has all these flaws and we're going to have to rebuild them. This this, this dude's like an open, unwritten book and he's 6'10". He was attacking closeouts. He looked balanced. That's one to keep an eye on, man. Depending on like the the player development situation that he goes to, um, he's pretty efficient around the rim. I mean, he just he just looks competent. I, I just kind of wonder where he could go from here. I'm, I'm really intrigued with him. I don't know he's six ten. He's long, you know. He's super, super raw. But I mean, I, I agree with who was it that said that on the pod? You were Tate, I think. One of you guys, probably me. I was pretty I, enamored I think, with. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it, like whoever said it, I was like, yes, like this dude. Like I don't know if he's going to end up, you know, declaring for the draft this year. He's the type of guy that I think could really benefit from going back again because of all those raw skills and with Noel. I mean, he wowed people as a five foot eight guard with his playmaking ability at 19 assists, which was an all time high, I believe, in the NCAA tournament uh, against Michigan State. Then he had 12 uh, in their loss in the Elite Eight uh, with Noel. Is there a role for a five foot eight tiny little guard in the NBA, Kyle? It's tough sledding, man. Uh, mm, I mean, the passing is. is is promising, but he's like five five seven, five eight. He's teeny, teeny, tiny. And we've seen for even super skilled player, just players that like the gap closing just really negates a lot of what you do. And he was he was blitzing people off the dribble in a way that's going to be tougher for him at the yeah. next level. Very fun, very talented, very skilled, very audacious, brave player. But the size thing is uh, as fun as it is. It's you got to be like an elite, elite scorer to even overcome that or get close. And even still, you know, you're going to be picked on. Is there anybody else that we haven't mentioned that you want to mention that helped or hurt themselves in the tournament? 
I mean, I thought the Creighton guys looked pretty good. I thought Trey Alexander oh, yeah. and Arkaluma yep. had had good, you know, those are two wings that are a little bit more athletic than typical for Creighton. And I thought they showed a lot. I'd be curious if both of them come back to school, though. Yeah, I think I think Kaluma, we talked about him, one of our first shows as a guy to watch. Didn't have the year that you would have hoped for. Ended fairly well, but I'd like to see him go back. And I like Alexander. Alexander, I think he's going to shot it at the NBA. Um, but I'd like to see him play another year as well. Kyle, we got four teams to go. Florida Atlantic, San Diego State facing off at 3.09 p.m. Pacific on Saturday. And then Miami UConn at 5.49 p.m. Pacific. What are your predictions for these games? San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, who you got? I think it's going to be San Diego State-UConn in the title game, and I think UConn's going to blow San Diego State out in the, in the championship game. That's my prediction. UConn, I'm 100% with you there with the matchup and with the result. UConn so far in the tournament, first round against Iona, 87-63. Second round against St. Mary's, 70-55. Sweet 16 against Arkansas, 88-65. Elite 8 against Gonzaga, 82-54. Will it be a blowout against Miami, though? You said it'll be a blowout against San Diego State in the final, but what about against Miami? I could be wrong about that UConn-Miami game. I mean, you know, underestimate, underestimate Miami at your peril, man. They, their guards, as we've seen, can be an incredible equalizer when they get going, when they get hot. They get to the rim. They produce all kinds of easy offense at the rim. I could talk myself into Miami winning the title, yeah. honestly. Um, <laughs> so, that I mean, I'll stick with, with it because, you know, I, I think that UConn's rim protection is better than what they've seen so far. But I, I think... Um, I still, I'm going to stick with UConn. I think they're balanced. I think they're dynamic, and they just they're hitting on all cylinders, man. So you think the matchup between UConn and Miami will be tighter, but then they blow out oh, San Diego yeah. State in the final? Yes. It's going to be tight. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised okay. if that's like okay. a four to six point game. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I hope we get a good one. Uh, I'm I'm excited for Saturday. It's going to be a good time. Kyle, have a good rest of your week, man. You too, man. Glad you're feeling better. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Ringers NBA Draft Show. Thank you to Jesse Lopez for producing. Thank you to you for listening. Hope you have a great rest of your week. Enjoy the final four.